scripture reading today, Exodus uh, chapter 9, verses 13 through the end of the chapter, uh, on page 60 in your pew Bible. Pharaoh's already gone through six plagues. This is the seventh. He's, uh, like us a lot of times, kind of a slow learner. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and your, on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I raised you up to show you my power so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I'll cause the very, a very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into their houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant in the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, which had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned in the Lord. Sin. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Plead for the Lord, that, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out from the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you and the earth is so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you have, do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax is in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Today we'll, we're walking through the book of Exodus. We're at the 7th, 8th, and ninth plagues today. Chapter 9, Mr. Mickey read part of that text for us. 
we'll try to read most of the rest. When you're, read, when you're teaching through narrative text, sometimes it's hard to, to have, it, we don't have a lot of time to be able to read all the text. We'll try to do that, but just know we're walking through the book for next week. You just continue. We're going to look at the 10th the plague, the Passover next week, so you can be reading ahead and preparing for that. But in the book of Exodus, we see God, how he keeps his word. We just sang that song, how great thou art. God is great. There's none greater than him. There's none like him because he keeps his word always. All that God has said would happen has happened so far in this book. This is just one of the ways that the book of Exodus teaches us about the sovereignty of God. Now, there are other ways that God's sovereignty is on display in chapters 1 through 9. So let's review just a moment. One way that we know God is sovereign is the timing of everything. Isn't it remarkable how the Lord will say distinctly, tomorrow these, these things will happen. Tomorrow this plague will come. Tomorrow this plague will cease. The timing is so specific. I mean, who can predict and providentially bring about his will only a sovereign Lord. We see also Israel's immunity to the fourth, fifth, and sixth plagues. We saw that last week. All of Egypt, including Pharaoh and his magicians, are suffering at the hand of God, but not those in Goshen, the flies. Their livestock didn't die, and the boils, they're, they're immune from those judgments. And also, no one can emulate God's wonders. If you remember when we looked at the first plague, the water turning to blood, the Nile River turning to blood, the magicians, Pharaoh's priest, they caused water to turn to blood. And then the second plague was the frogs came out of the Nile and covered the land. And so the magicians caused frogs to appear. But then at the end of that plague, we saw they couldn't get rid of the frogs. And so Pharaoh had to ask Moses to plead with the Lord to send the frogs back into the Nile, and he did so. We see him also asking Moses to plead with the Lord that the fly plague would cease, and it did so. And so we see little by little the power of the magicians waning. And at this point, they're inept. They can't emulate God and his power. In fact, they're saying they're throwing in the, the white towel. They give up. But Pharaoh, despite God showing and proving he is sovereign. He's the one God, the omnipotent one. Pharaoh continues to have a hard heart. He doesn't want to listen to the Lord. He wants to be boss. He wants to be ruler. He doesn't want to acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty and right to rule over him. And so what does God do? He gives him over to that stubbornness. He lets him do what he wants to do, which is to continue to oppose God. He is hardened by his own desires. He won't listen to Moses as he delivers God's message to Pharaoh about letting God's people go. He 
refuses to release the Hebrew slaves. And this is just a manifestation of a hard heart. Pharaoh won't listen to reason. The logical, the reasonable thing to do is submit to God so God's heavy hand could be lifted. But one who is hard-hearted, they don't listen to reason. They're not logical. And so we get to the seventh judgment, the seventh plague, which is hail. And the first thing we learn from this text is that the result of a hard heart is judgment. And you say, well, we've seen that, but that is something we see in the text. We need to point that out. Look at verse 12. This is the boils have come upon all of the Egyptians. And it says, verse 11, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Again, all the things that are happening is just as God said they would happen. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He hardens his heart, and God hardens his heart. So the result is another judgment, another plague. And these plagues, they've come and gone. Each one furthering the plot and teaching us something. The first three plagues, of course, were experienced by all in the land of Egypt. But since then, from the fourth plague, there's been a distinction made. God is merciful to his people. But here in chapter 9, verse 13 through 35, we see this judgment of hail. It is the third set of three plagues. And we see in verse 14 that God is he's intensifying. He's pouring it on, if you want to use that terminology. He's about to send all his signs, it says, to Pharaoh's heart, which means God is, he's turning it up a notch on Pharaoh, turning up the heat, making it more difficult for them. The, the plagues are becoming more intense, making the people more miserable. In verse 16, chapter 9, we see this purpose statement given. This, it's the first plague in the third set of three, and so with each set, the first plague comes with a purpose clause here. And God, he says he could have done away with Pharaoh already. But the hardening of his heart is part of God's plan to reveal himself, not only to Egypt, to Pharaoh, not only to Israel, but to the whole world. This judgment has, a, has worldwide implications. As God wants every nation, every people to know that he is God. So we see here in these next three plagues is the elements. They're going to be used by God. These, are, these next three plagues are, are natural occurrences, but what happens is God uses the things that might naturally occur and he causes them to be intensified. So in verse, verses 22 through 26, we see hail fall upon the earth. This is hail. This is, it's, it's hail, big hail, right? It's falling on and it's destroying everything that it falls upon. It kills everything living. And it's the worst storm the Egyptians had ever seen. 
in verse 20, but God is compassionate and even those Egyptians who will heed his warning will be spared. And not all the plagues come with a warning, but here God through Moses gives them a warning. And some of Pharaoh's servants, they don't need 10 plagues to get their attention. They only need six. Six judgments are enough. They're beginning to, to, to understand that when God speaks through Moses, those things are going to occur. And they move their slaves, they move their livestock into shelter. And again, verse 26, but those living in Goshen, the Israelites, are, are given immunity. And it's interesting, you might have a question. Is, you say, well, we just had a, a plague where there's the death of the livestock. And it says in chapters 9 that all of the livestock of the Egyptians died. You remember Pharaoh even sent his servants to Goshen to, to determine if what God said was going to happen indeed happened. And God had told Pharaoh through Moses that your livestock are all going to die, but not those of the Israelites in Goshen. And so he sent servants to see if that was true. And, and sure enough, that's exactly what had happened. But it says in chapter 9 that all of the livestock died. He said, well, here they're talking about the livestock and the slaves out in the fields. What, there seems to be a contradiction here. Well, kind of help you with that. And that's a good question. You should have those questions. That question should be raised. I think what happened there is you look back in chapter 9, all of the livestock that were in the fields died in that fifth plague. But here you have these remnants. There are some livestock still left over that weren't out in the fields. Now, after the crops are harvested, what do they do? You see that happening here in, in our culture. A lot of times they'll, in the cornfields, they'll turn the cows out or the pigs out or whatever out into the fields and let them free graze, if you will, on what's left over. But we see that the livestock that's left in the fields that weren't brought in, they're killed by the hail. So I think that, that it seems like there's an assumed discrepancy there, contradiction, but I, I think that's how we can uh, work that out. But we see this hard hardness resulting in judgment. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. God hardens his heart. So what, what does God do? Pours it on. Judgment number seven with the hail. And the same is true today, isn't it? Hard-hearted people will be judged. How's your heart towards God? Do you have a hard heart? You wouldn't do it physically, but in your, in your spirit, are you, are, you just, are you doing this to God? Saying, I, I want my way, I don't want your way. My will be done, not your will be done, God. And if that's our attitude, if that's our heart, we'll also face the judgment, will we not? God is God of justice and his will will be done. We also see that the acknowledgement of sin doesn't equal repentance. Look at chapter 9, verse 27. Then Pharaoh sinned and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The hail has destroyed all the crops, all the trees, slaves, livestock. So many have been killed, so much devastation. And Moses, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. 
Plead with the Lord, for there's been enough of God's thunder and hell, and I will let you and you sh- I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Pharaoh tells Moses he has sinned. This is breakthrough moment, right? And we've seen some of this, right? It's, it's, we've seen this progression as God is getting little by little, getting Pharaoh's attention, getting the Israelites' attention. We've seen it with the magicians. We've seen it with some of the people, right? As as they move their slaves and livestock inside. God, this Yahweh God, this God of the Hebrews, he means business. What he says, he'll do, he'll do. But here you see Pharaoh, maybe a softening. And he, he acknowledges that he has sinned. He wanted the hail and thunder and lightning to stop. And so what does he do? He pleads with Moses to approach God and ask God to be merciful. And, and Pharaoh even said, I've sinned. That's interesting Interesting vocabulary. And what we see is Pharaoh tells Moses that the people are free to go. This is the first time that we see compliance by Pharaoh to the command of God, let my people go, with no strings attached. Up at this point, he said, well, you can go, but you have to stay in Egypt. You can't leave Egypt. You've got to stay here, and you can have your several days to, to worship and do what you need to do. But you have to stay here in Egypt. And we'll see later where he's going to say, yeah, you can go, but just the men. Leave the women and kids. And then later, well, you can go, but you have to leave your livestock here. And so there's all of these stipulations. Yeah, you can go, but. But this is the first time we see compliance by Pharaoh. In verses 29, again, Moses, I love this specific time period. Moses said, as soon as I've gone out of the city, and why is that? I'm not sure, just God showing himself to be sovereign. This is going to happen, but it's going to happen at this time. As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. It's interesting, the judgment of hell came so that Pharaoh would know that he is God. But the discontinuing of hell is so that Pharaoh would know that God is God and the earth is the Lord's. So Moses, is he a believer? Is he convinced that Pharaoh is yielded to the Lord? He's not convinced, is he? Look at verse 30. He knew Pharaoh would renege and not let the people of God go because he does not yet fear the Lord. And sure enough, when Pharaoh gets relief... Verse 34 and 35, he hardens his heart yet again and he forbids the Israelites from leaving as God said he would. He sins against God and we see Pharaoh again juxtaposed to God. Pharaoh doesn't keep his word. He lies and God keeps his word. So let's take a moment just to understand this, what's going on with Pharaoh. Is he repentant? He says, I have sinned. But this is not true repentance, is it? Pharaoh is afraid of the consequences, but he didn't fear God. He's afraid of the consequences. He's fearful of the consequences of disobeying God, but he's not fearful of God. Point out a couple things that shows this isn't true repentance. Number one, he didn't cry out to God, but he asked Moses to intercede for him. But one who is truly repenting is going to pour out his heart to the one he's offended. 
The second way we know this isn't true repentance is there's no godly sorrow or hatred of his sin. We're helped by Paul who writes the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 7, verse 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. Paul, he, he's written 1 Corinthians. He started this church, second missionary journey. The church is, is growing, but it has a lot of issues. And, and Paul addresses a lot of those issues in the first letter. There's been a second letter that's lost. We don't have that letter. But in that letter, Paul took them to the woodshed. He rebukes them forthrightly. We don't have that letter, but this, these verses are allude to that. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, Paul says, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. We see this godly sorrow. Paul alluding to this letter that he's rebuked them. And they, they were grieved. They had godly sorrow. And that godly sorrow, that sadness, that seeing your sin the way God sees it and, and being brokenhearted over it leads to repentance. But in Pharaoh's case, that didn't happen. There's a fear of the consequence of rebelling against God. There's a desire to escape the consequences, but there's no godly sorrow. In Joel chapter 1, it's interesting we see the, here God plagues Egypt, but in about the 7th, 8th century BC, God plagues his own people, or he's going to plague his own people. He's talking about the upcoming judgment that's going to come. The judgment of God upon Judah for their disobedience, for their idolatry. They, they were very prosperous during this time and they had kind of gotten lax, believe and trust in their own merit, their own goodness. And, and here, God tells about the upcoming judgment. Let's go to the next slide, Sarah. I want to get to, we'll come back to this, this, this passage in a moment. Let's look at verse 8. In the end of this section, we're going to come back to this verse because it parallels our passage nicely. But it says, Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. That word lament means to be sad, to be broken hearted. And you, you see lament, you think of the word, the book lamentation, it's sadness, crying, right, weeping. And, and the picture here, and, and, and Joel is, is rebuking the nation, rebuking Judah, telling him, turn your laughter to mourning. You should repent. You should be broken hearted over your sin. You should turn because if you don't, God's going to judge you. And this is what the judgment's going to look like. And he talks about the locust and, and all the difficulty that judgment will bring upon them. But here it says lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of youth. Just think about that. You've got a, a, a woman who's engaged to be married. She's never been married. She's been looking forward to this her entire life. And in our culture, we would wear a white dress signifying purity, 
virginity, innocence, and you're going to be married and give yourself to your bridegroom, to your husband, and so you're engaged. And here's the picture of, painted by Joel of a woman who, in our culture, we would say walks the aisle, but instead of in this beautiful white dress, as many of you have worn, instead she's in sackcloth, which is mourning clothes. Turn your laughter to mourning because of your sin. Someone who's repenting laments over their sin. They are broken hearted. And we don't see that with Pharaoh, do we? There's no brokenness. There's no godly sorrow. And here this woman who is going to be married loses her betrothed soon-to-be husband to death. And instead of celebrating wearing a white gown, she's wearing sackcloth, weeping and broken-hearted. Another reason we know that Pharaoh didn't truly repent is that he didn't turn from his sin. He continued in it. As soon as the consequences are removed, he continued the same sin. No, I will not let your people go. No, I will not obey you. He says one thing, but then does another. So repentance repentance means that we turn from our sin. We turn from trusting ourselves, and we trust in Christ's work here in the New Covenant. We trust in Christ's work on the cross for us. Our R.C. Sproul, he says, repentance has to do with the changing of one's, one's mind with respect to one's behavior. Yeah, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to treat my wife this way. I don't want to treat my husband this way. I don't want to lose my temper that way. I don't want to be lazy that way. I don't want to give into that addiction again like I've been doing. I want to do something different. I want to live differently. I see that this sin is an offense to God, the one who's created me, and I want to live that way no longer. And we talk about repentance and faith. There's two sides of the same coin. You don't repent without trusting. Repentance, turning from a life of merit, of trusting in myself and trusting in everything and anything but God, and belief is placing our faith in God. Of course, for us, the new covenant, we trust in Christ's work, that Christ did die for us. He rose from the grave for us, And not just for us, but for me. It's a personal thing, isn't it? And repentance brings about great change in our lives. Believer, think about your life. When you repented, what happened? There's a change that occurred in your life. When we were overseas we, we, with the Chinese, they, it, it's a little bit different. The church culture is different. And, and for many of them, they couldn't tell you when they repented. But they would say... All I know is this is what I used to be like, and this is, I'm not like that any longer. My life is different. When I repented, my life was different. God changed my heart. He gave me a new heart. The heart of stone was replaced with the heart of flesh, and he changed my life, my want to, my desires, my will, and my actions. Not 
And we're not completely sanctified, are we? We still struggle day in and day out with sin and selfishness and all those things. But there's a change that occurs when the Spirit of God comes and seals us. We're given a new heart. So have you truly repented? Acknowledging that you're sinful doesn't mean that you've repented. I, I'm, I get up very early in the morning, and, and some mornings, I try to do it about once a week. I go to a, 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 a little place here um, in our county where a lot of older men gather and eat breakfast. They drink coffee, uh, eat a biscuit, and tell a bunch of lies, right? Um, and some of them are, are um, just there spending time, chewing the fat. Some people are there and they, they eat breakfast and they go to work. But I try to go by about once, about once a week and just to, just to rub elbows with these guys and talk to them and always praying and looking for opportunities. And, and from time to time, I have these opportunities. And, and so this week, it was just providence of God. There was two men there that I, I've, I'm, I'm growing to, to, to love and care for. And we just got to talk about God and the Bible and the gospel. And it was so wonderful because I'm praying all the time for, and there's so many people in and out of there oftentimes. You just don't, you can't really get in, in good conversation. But, but that, this week I was there and these older men and not church people, good folks, they would do anything for you probably, but as you listen to their conversation, I wouldn't say that God's a priority in their life. They're not in love with Jesus. They're not yielded and, and, and submitted to the word of God. But we got to talk about the gospel and got to share the gospel and very clearly, very pointedly. And you know what was interesting is they, everything that we, we said, they were, they were nodding head and they were in agreement. Yeah, 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 I'm a sinner. We talked a lot about depravity and, and sinfulness and how sinful we are. We don't even know how sinful we are. And that we can't ever depend on our merit and our, our goodness and oh I'm good or I do they, all these good things I work for this good organization I do all this I give this much money da 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 no because we're, we're so sinful we don't even know how sinful we are and we talked about that and how God's standard is, is holiness and, and our, even on our best day we can't meet that standard and how because of that because of that God who's just he's going to judge us for not measuring up. And those men are just nodding and yeah, 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 yeah. It was just like boom, boom, boom. We got end up getting interrupted there at the end, but but I left there thinking, wow, they heard the truth of the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God for salvation, right? And so I was really, really excited, just praying, God, use that truth, use that truth, use that truth. But their head nod saying, Yeah, 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 I'm sinful, and, and yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. That doesn't mean that they repented. And only God knows a heart, but I would say, yeah, those men probably still haven't yielded the Lord, but I'm praying that the Lord use that gospel to bring about regeneration and God grant them faith and repentance. And Saying we're sinful doesn't mean we're, we've repented. But if you're going to be born again, if you're going to know the Lord, if you're going to be accepted by Lord on judgment day and when you breathe your last what's going to determine whether you are in glory with God or in hell being the recipient of his wrath is whether you've repented or not 
Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Have you, has your heart been broken over your sin? Have you, have you said there's been a point in my life where I said no more? I, I don't want to live like that. I'm not going to live like that, God. I wanna, I'm trusting you and Christ's work on the cross for my salvation. And I want to live for him. And are you pursuing fruit and keeping with repentance? Is you're pursuing Christ, pursuing his will in your life. Have you repented? I hope you've repented today. Third thing we see in our text, look at chapter 10. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. I'm not going to let God's people go. They're mine. They're not yours. They're mine. That's what he's saying. They're slaves. They're my slaves. They're not your people. Right? So what does God do? He pours out his judgment by sending locusts. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And I hope as you're reading through this, I know some of you, some of you reading through Jeff, he's reading and wants to know what we're studying. And I would underline, I know some of you are like, man, you think that, that the Lord may not give you a mansion if you're writing your Bible. But I would, I would write down, and you see this over and over again, that you may know that I'm the Lord. You ought to go through there in a colored pencil or something and mark all of those statements. You'll, you'll be, it's, it's amazing how many times he says that in these first 10, 12 chapters. Why is he doing all this? So that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, verse 3, Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? See, he's, he, won't, he won't humble himself. Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow, I love that specific time. Isn't that amazing? Tomorrow I'll bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants, verse 7, said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let him go, for goodness sake, Pharaoh. Let him go. We need some relief. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Oppose God results in God's judgment. You're ruined. You're done. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he says to them, go serve the Lord your God. And he goes to negotiate. But which one's going to go? We'll go everybody are going to go. Verse 9. We're all going to go. Whether sons or daughters or flocks or herds, for we must hold a feast of the Lord. But he said, And the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. No, the men among you should go. And they were driven away from Pharaoh's presence. It's interesting there in verse 2. God wants Pharaoh. Egypt, Israel, the nations to know that he's God. Notice what he says, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I've dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. 
So what's the purpose of all this? So that among the nations, God will be known. Among your children, Yahweh is to be known. I think the third point here is let's make the most of our teachable moments with our kids. These plagues were to be used. These true events are to be told to these kids and these grandkids. And this, this, whole, this whole account here in the book of Exodus, it's, it's not given to us so that we can talk about how terrible the Egyptians are and how wicked Pharaoh was, how oppressive he was, or how wonderful Moses was, what a great leader he was. No, miss the point. The point, it, it, it teaches about God, how wonderful God is, how he's omnipotent, he's omniscient. And that's what we need to teach to our children. God wanted all the generations that come after the, the, the Exodus generation to know about these events. And if you read the history over and over and over again, the Israelites are known as the people who were redeemed from Egypt. There's so many psalms about it. We see it in, in the sermons Peter on the day of Pentecost over and over again. In the New Testament, we see this coming, coming back up because this is what God did. This is what we can learn about God from this story. But we need to teach our, our children and our grandkids. The church, we're, we're called, as a pastor, my job is to equip the saints to do the work, to teach truth, to equip us to do the work. My job is not to disciple your child, to lead your child to Jesus. But I come alongside, I want to reinforce what you're teaching. And it just gripes me to no end. Sometimes we have these events and we have these, we have these things planned and we can't, get, we can't get parents to bring their kids to it so we can reinforce. It drives me crazy. I don't get it. We're here to help. Don't miss the opportunities we have. But parents, it's your job to teach your children about the Lord. Don't miss the opportunities. And for some of us, maybe we don't, we don't, we're not in the habit of doing that, but we need to get in the habit of doing that. So how do I do it? Well, I don't, for those of you that sit around a table, I know not everybody does that, but for those of you that sit around a table, that, have that time every day when you sit around a table having dinner at night where you, you talk about, hey, what did the Lord do in your life today? Or what did the Lord, how, how was the Lord good to you? Or maybe before you go to bed, we have a, in our family a little habit. We, we don't do it every night, but most nights we, we try to get together and, and and read or pray if something. But this is the easiest way to do this, I think, with your kids. And just with your family. Even just husband and wife, your empty nester. Before you go to bed, you just, dad, step up and say, okay, let's just talk about how, how the Lord good to us. What should we be thankful for today? That's real easy. If you're little ones, they love doing that. They love it. Your kids will love it. You think, well, my kids are kind of obstinate. And they may do it. No, they'll, they'll do that. That's easy. So what do you do? You get in the habit of just doing that, just having time every day. How, how's, how's, how, how should we thank the Lord? And maybe we just pray. You know, you go around the circle and you pray and you pray and you pray and you, pray and you just tell the Lord thank you, right? Yeah, it's real easy. But what does it do? It teaches your children that, man, every gift that we have comes from the Lord. And there's so many things we could be thankful about because everything above hell is a privilege. It got stung on the head. I walked out of the office the other day and got stung on the head. Boom, red walls hit me in the top of the head. I got a big knot on my head right now, right? 
Yeah, it's terrible. But at least I didn't have, have to be like some folks with EpiPens, you know, rushing to the emergency room. It's like, yeah, I'm just glad. I thank the Lord I didn't have this thing. My head swells up, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't lose my, my windpipe didn't get closed up. There's all different kind of things we do. Oh, we're at the grocery store and dad, this woman was really rude to mom. She cut in line and she just said ugly things to her. Well, let's take that. Well, you know what? That, that, that lady, you know, maybe she doesn't know the Lord. Hey, let's pray for her. You don't know what she's gone through. Maybe she's had a hard life. Maybe she had a bad day. You don't, who knows? Let's pray for her. Just taking all these moments just to bring up the Lord and teach them about the Lord. What are you thankful for? How can we pray for people? Have somebody in your life as a family that you're praying for to be saved. Have somebody in your life that you're praying all the time for. Hey, this person's lost and we love them. You know? Got somebody that lives near me. Got a neighbor. Got a friend. They're lost. Let's pray for, bring that up for your kids all the time. Let's pray for their salvation that they'll be saved. And as the Lord moves and they're saved, what happens to your kids' faith? They're like, wow. We've been praying for this person to be saved, and here they're, they've given their life to Jesus. Let's make the most of our opportunities to teach our kids about the Lord. The, the, the thing that's most important, I do funerals. I'm a pastor. I do funerals. People I know, people in our church, people I don't know, people I've never talked to, never seen ever on the face of the earth, and I get to do their funerals sometimes. They'll call me from the funeral home and say, hey, I got somebody here that doesn't know a pastor. You want to do a funeral? I love doing those things. You know what's the most important thing at that moment when I'm doing that funeral, what everybody's thinking about or not trying to think about, you know, there's sometimes people who don't want to think about it. It's whether those people have repented and know the Lord or not. When I'm doing a funeral of a, of a child or a son or a daughter or a grandchild, what's most important at that moment for those parents is them thinking, did I teach, did I teach them about Jesus. Now teach them how to love the Lord. They won a state championship in blah, blah, blah. They were good at this. They made straight A's. It's not important. When we say goodbye, that parent, that grandparent, all that's on their mind, did they teach them about the Lord? Are they ready for eternity? Yeah, that's what's important for us. God, speaking to the to nation here, really wants them to, to tell, it says, in the hearing of your son and your grandson, how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians. Teach them about me. Teach them about me. That's my, that's my alarm, my timer. All right, I'm wrapping it up. Um, <laughs> shoot, now everybody's going to be doing that, right? I got five minutes. All right. That's clever. <laughs> and a lot of things happen. You're going to read that. We don't have time. You're going to read this text. But look at, um, so Pharaoh asked, asked for mercy. Moses, plead the Lord. And what does he do? He, the Lord, what's he do? He, he, he moves the, the locust that he's brought upon the, uh, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. He, he brings the, um, Locust that were devouring the land, right? In this, in this um, eighth plague, and he moves them out to sea. 
Okay, let's read this. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them to the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. And then what happens? He hardens his heart, and what, is, what, is, what happens? God sends another plague. Hard hardness results in judgment. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 21 of chapter 10, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. It was so dark, they were scared. We can't go anywhere. It's so dark. Um, it's not, you know, the stars are out, the moon's out and it's dark. No, it's dark. It's Cumberland Caverns dark. You ever been to a cave? Some of you have been in a cave. We used to take our students to Cumberland Caverns and we'd spend the night in the cave. And we went there, my family, in uh, May, just wanted my kids to experience it. And they, you know, everybody's got their lights on. And I'm like, hey, 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 I'm telling our little tour guide. I'm like, hey, I want to make sure our kids see what darkness really is. She's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that part. So we get way down deep in the cave and then the lights go out. And it's like, yeah, it's just dark. Like you're wearing it, you know. And it was like that for three days. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain. Again, he's trying to bargain. Trying to bargain with the Lord. So Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifice and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go. Verse 27, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. From the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you'll say, as you say, what you say is true. I will not see your face again. And that's going to lead us into the next plague because he hardened his heart. And what God has to do? Harden your heart, God judges. And we'll see the Passover next week. We'll pick up here. Um, just by way of application, I already mentioned a few things, but small group leaders, Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You, you need to revisit that with your group. It's a great, great text. I think it's going to help you. It really parallels what's going on here. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and uh, following, maybe 1 through 10. Application, what do we, what do, we do this? this? This Real quickly, some of us are in Goshen. Some of us are in Goshen, and we're receiving the mercy and grace of God. For some of us, we've acknowledged our sin. You know, we, 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 were, we used to be like this, but God came in, regenerated our hearts, broke our, heart, broke our hearts over sin, and we yielded to the Lord. We said yes to the Lord. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, whatever you want me to go, whatever you want me to give up, whatever you want me to do, I'm yielded to you. And we've repented. We've turned from our living life for ourselves, and we've yielded to the Lord. And we're following the Lord, and, and, and there's, when there's darkness, and this is the thing, there's darkness, but guess what? In Goshen, there was light. It's amazing. All these times, all these plagues, you imagine that there's lights going into some market or something, and you're seeing everybody with boils. The only one that doesn't have boils on it are the, the Hebrews, the slaves. The only one whose livestock didn't die are the, the Hebrews. There's no locust in Goshen. There's no hell in Goshen. There's no darkness in Goshen. But some of us are in Goshen. Praise the Lord. God has done a work in your life. Praise be to God. And there's some of us here today. You're in Egypt. You want to do what you want to do. You've never yielded to the Lord. The Lord says you're sinful, depraved, 
rebellious and you say, no, I'm not. I'm a pretty good person. God says, I want you to follow me. And you, you say, well, I want to follow you when it's easy or when it's convenient, but I want to do what I want to do. Some of you are in Egypt and your heart's hard. And you may be like some of those magicians or some of like those folks who got their slaves and, and their livestock when they heard that bad things were going to happen. And you know enough about God to know that he's real and that he's judge, but you yet to yield to him. You've yet to submit yourself to him and you've yet to repent truly. And you've yet to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. You're yet to embrace the fact that Jesus died on the cross and, and, and you've trusted him, his death and resurrection, and that that is your only hope. You're still holding back and you're still like this to the Lord. You want to do what you want to do and you haven't yielded to the Lord completely. You hate the consequences and when bad things happen, when mama goes for surgery, when baby's going to have something done that's pretty serious, we, we, we pray and we cry out to God for help, but we've never bowed the knee to him yielded to him. If you've never yielded to the Lord and, and truly repented, you need to repent today. Jesus summarizes his, his, all his preaching in three words, repent and believe. You need to repent and believe today. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you don't know how that goes or what that looks like, you just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm like Pharaoh. I've been opposing you in every way. I've lived my life my way. And I recognize that I am a sinner deserving of judgment. But I recognize today that Christ died. He died not just for sinners, but he died for me, the chief of sinners. And he rose on the third day for me so I could be made right. And I want to yield to you and I want to be forgiven and I want to follow you all my days. Save me, Lord Jesus. Something like that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Love to. If you got any questions about that, talk to me after we're done. Those in Goshen, rejoice. Live like you've been redeemed. Teach our children who God is and what he's done for us. Remind them regularly. Teach them that those who oppose him, hard-hearted folks, receive God's judgment. Let's pray. Father, we're... Indeed, grateful for your word, and we're thankful for it. Lord, may you use it. The truth has been taught to soften hearts and bring lost people to you. Father, if there's any little girl, little boy, any middle school, high school student here, any adult here, any older woman, older man here who's yet to bow the knee to you, I pray that you would soften their hearts and grant them faith and repentance today for those traveling Lord we ask for grace you would bring them home safely for those in Idaho Lord bless them use them to love that church to be a shot in the arm to Scott and Jennifer in that congregation may you use them mightily to share the gospel with those who need to hear it and may you use us this week thank you bless us in boldness empower us in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.